I like to joke that I'm too old to be mature. Having just turned 76, frankly, the whole concept of maturity, something I sought to achieve most of my life, is now irrelevant, if not indeed laughable. Certainly the younger we are, or were, the more desirable maturity seemed to be, but it comes with losses as well, doesn't it? Such as losing the ability to act according to the heart rather than the head, losing childish, childlike wonder, or coloring outside the lines. Now, I'm not talking about physical or cognitive maturity. Science has pretty much defined those. I'm talking about the muddier topic of behavioral maturity. You know, acting like a grown-up. A cursory review of writings on the topic of maturity reveals some common definitions, including knowing what you don't know, listening more and talking less, being aware of and considerate of others as opposed to being self-absorbed and self-centered, not taking everything personally, um, taking responsibility for your own life, not pushing the blame off on someone else when whatever it was was your doing, not relying on someone else to fix you, having forgiveness and compassion, being calm and rational, being responsible, being selfless, respecting others' points of view, not insisting you're right, and so forth. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Put all those together and it sounds more like requirements for sainthood rather than maturity. Furthermore, I know plenty of adults who by chronological or legal definition are mature, don't want to take responsibility if they can blame someone or something else, don't think of others first, are sorely lacking in forgiveness, compassion, and empathy, and certainly don't respect others' points of view. And you know what? I have to confess that in all those definitions of maturity, there isn't one I haven't failed to live up to, at least once during my age of maturity. In fact, I'll even confess that in moments of sudden onset stress, my first thought is, I want my mommy. I remember when once many years ago, when I was still dating my future husband, I exulted loudly and in the company of others at how magnificent the stars were that night. My beloved chastised me for acting immaturely. Well, perhaps he had a point. I was only 27 or so. He was three years older. Nevertheless, I in turn chastised him for criticizing my vocalized sense of awe. I told him, this is who I am. If you can't handle my passion, you shouldn't be with me. It admittedly was a bit of a struggle for him and remained so for the next 30 plus years. I love to point out to him that the extreme opposite of someone who cares excessively is someone who doesn't care at all, also known as a psychopath. <laughs> I recently read an article on rational maturity which the writer defines as, quote, when we accept responsibility for our lives and our thinking processes, unquote. Some pundits differentiate between rational and emotional maturity, with the latter defined by the American Psychological Association as being, quote, a high and appropriate level of emotional control and expression, unquote. 
Now, I have to confess that I don't quite see the difference without really getting down into the psycho and anthro babble filled weeds of human behavior. But I was taken by the rational maturity writer's distinction between rational thinking and rational maturity. The thinking she described as being a logical approach to addressing a situation. The maturity one about taking responsibility for oneself. Now, here's where there is a slippery slope. If you take responsibility for yourself, if you choose your own path, if you think for yourself, if you go against conventional wisdom or the conventions of those around you, you may consider yourself a free thinker, but the APA may consider you emotionally immature because you're not behaving appropriately. But who defines what's appropriate? I mean, aside from road rage and temper tantrums. Isn't most of that contextual? What's appropriate in your family, workplace, community, social circle, religion, culture, and so forth? Well, let's step back a bit in time. Free thinking is often associated with religious agnosticism or even atheism. However, the 18th century Age of Enlightenment that indeed gave birth to anti-church sentiments was to a great extent influenced by the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. His seminal 1984 essay, What is Enlightenment?, begins by talking about nonage, N-O-N-A-G-E, which means the absence of maturity. He writes, albeit using the sexist language of his time, quote, Enlightenment is man's emergence from his self-imposed nonage. Nonage is the inability to use one's own understanding without another's guidance. This nonage is self-imposed if its cause lies not in lack of understanding, but in indecision and lack of courage to use one's own mind without another's guidance. Dare to know, have the courage to use your own understanding is therefore the motto of the Enlightenment. Laziness and cowardice are the reasons, this is still Kant, writing in his 1984 essay. Um, Laziness and cowardice are the reasons why such a large part of mankind gladly remain minors all their lives, long after nature has freed them from external guidance. They are the reasons why it is so easy for others to set themselves up as guardians. It is so comfortable to be a minor. If I have a book that thinks for me, a pastor who acts as my conscience, a physician who prescribes my diet, and so on, then I have no need to exert myself. I have no need to think, if only I can pay. Others will take care of that disagreeable business for me. Those guardians who have kindly taken supervision upon themselves see to it that the overwhelming majority of mankind, among them the entire fair sex, so Kant does include women, should consider the step to maturity not only as hard, but as extremely dangerous. Kant goes on to say, it is very difficult for the individual to work himself out of the nonage which has become almost second nature to him. He has even grown to like it 
and is at first really incapable of using his own understanding because he has never been permitted to try it. Dogmas and formulas, these mechanical tools designed for reasonable use, or rather abuse, of his natural gifts, are the fetters of an everlasting nonage. The man who casts them off would make an uncertain leap over the narrowest ditch because he is not used to such free movement. That is why there are only a few men who walk firmly and who have emerged from nonage by cultivating their own minds." End quote. Interestingly, as you may remember from your college philosophy course, Kant's rants were against the Christian church, not against God. He actually was a theist or deist, depending upon your uh, definition. He believed in the God of rational theology as the causal author and moral ruler of the world. Kant had a lot to say about free thinking and the church and religion and enlightenment, as did Americans who followed in his footsteps. As we know, the first American settlers, and indeed our founding fathers, had fled state-imposed religion, and they had a fierce commitment in their new country to the separation of church and state, wanting to be free to worship as they chose. In her book, Free Thinkers, A History of American Secularism, Susan Jacoby writes, quote, American free thought derived much of its power from an inclusiveness that encompassed many forms of rationalist belief. Often defined as a total absence of faith in God, free thought can better be understood as a phenomenon running the gamut from the truly anti-religious, those who regarded all religion as a form of superstition in which to reduce its influence in every aspect of society, to those who adhered to a private, unconventional faith, revering some form of God or providence, but at odds with orthodox religious authority. What the many types of free thinkers shared, regardless of their views on the ex existence or non-existence of a divinity, was a rationalist approach to fundamental questions of earthly existence, a conviction that the affairs of human beings should be governed not by faith in the supernatural, but by a reliance on reason and evidence adduced from the natural world." Unquote. Well, given this whole rather thorny issue of maturity, rationality, enlightenment, and belief in God, psychologist and career counselor, Dr. Marty Nemco of Oakland, California, says that while most people believe they think for themselves, they follow the herd, as he puts it, more often than not. He provides a somewhat tongue-in-cheek 11-question self-assessment that Dr. Michael W. Austin references in his November 2014 online posting, Freedom of Thought and Evidence. Austin says free thinking itself often is a form of groupthink and that it advocates reason over faith, but he has a problem with defining reason just as, quote, something that is limited to the scientific method. He writes, in order to understand knowledge and critical thought, we need to do some philosophy. There are many forms of evidence that are relevant and important, scientific, philosophical, historical, and experiential. 
depending on the particular question or set of questions we are exploring. We should be open to considering all forms of evidence that are relevant to our quest for knowledge in any particular realm of human inquiry. Austin goes on to say, what I am proposing is that we all be free thinkers in the sense that we all go where we take the evidence to lead us on any particular issue, religious belief, morality, politics, and any other area of human inquiry. Let's be free thinkers, Dr. Austin says, but let's allow ourselves to be free to believe the truth based on evidence, even if what ends up being true is not what we initially thought or hoped it would be. So, are you a sheep or a free thinker? If you'd like to take Dr. Nimko's unscientific self-assessment inventory, you're going to need something with which to write. All you have to do is mark true or false to these questions in response to these questions. One, you almost always vote for candidates of your political party. Two, your views are liberal or conservative on almost everything. Three, you hold few unpopular opinions. Four, you try to wear styles that are in this year. Five, you routinely spend more for a status brand, even though the quality isn't sufficiently better to justify the extra cost. For example, designer label clothes or a luxury car. Six, you choose uh, you chose a college or hoped your child or your grandchild uh, would choose a college based more on how much of a brand name it has than on whether it's a great fit for the student. You usually, this is number seven now, you usually prefer a trendy, although more expensive and crowded restaurant over a long established one. Eight, you often do an activity, not mainly because you like it, but because it's popular, like camping, rock concerts, yoga, watching a football game, going to church, or getting drunk. Nine, you keep up on pop culture, not mainly because you care about it, but because you don't want to appear ignorant in front of your friends. 10. You wouldn't have pursued a low status career, even if you were well suited to it or had been well suited to it. 11. You might justify doing something dishonest because you know that many people do it. For example, cheat on your taxes or stretch the truth on your resume, maybe even shoplift or pad your expense account. Now, the, uh, this is the um, utterly invalidated scoring key, which Dr. Nemko defines as such. Here's how you do it. You get one point for each false answer. Okay, add them up. All right. If you have 10 to 11 false answers, you're a free thinker. Eight to nine, a fairly uh, free thinker. Four to seven, sheepish. Zero to three, bah. Well, according to this unscientific uh, assessment, I am a fairly 
free thinker. <laughs> How about you? As usual, I'll post the resources for this episode on the Women Worthy Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.